Chapters forty three through forty five of the third volume by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Forty three. The last appearance of Francis Hilliston. Unaware of the tragedy which had taken place at Eastbourne, Captain Larcher was in London brooding over his wrongs and weaving schemes how to avenge himself on Hilliston his eyes had been opened by tate with regard to the conduct of that gentleman and he now saw plainly that he had been hilliston's dupe for all these years indeed he began to share tate's opinion that the lawyer was guilty and was casting about in his own mind how to prove this when an announcement in the papers informed him of the death of mrs hilliston the smallpox killed her no doubt said tate when he had expressed his regrets no remarked claude who had been looking over the general news it was a case of suicide suicide exclaimed the hearers in one breath yes according to this paragraph it appears that in some way or another she became possessed of a bottle of laudanum while the nurse was absent the woman returned to find her patient dead poor mrs hilliston added claude folding up the paper with a sigh how sorry i am to hear this i wonder why she committed suicide said tate meditatively she looked too determined a woman to yield to such a weakness no doubt she found out that her husband was guilty of the crime said larcher grimly and so did not care to live longer with a murderer you are wrong father observed claude looking up it was the knowledge that she had lost her looks which killed her depend upon it she took the poison so as to avoid dragging out her days a scarred and miserable object how do you know that claude asked his father with a curious look on his face because not once but twice or thrice mrs hilliston told me she would kill herself rather than grow old and ugly the loss of beauty came with the smallpox and so she has carried out her resolve it will be a blow to hilliston i don't think so said captain larcher rather cynically from what i remember of louisa sinclair the love was all on her side no doubt he married her when she was mrs derrick purely for her money no no i quite believe the story of mona bantry she was and is the woman of his love now the wife is dead he can console himself with the mistress that reminds me observed claude suddenly what are we to do about jenny is she to be informed that her mother is yet alive captain larcher shook his head set your mind at rest on that point he said with a nod i told mrs bezel that jenny was about to become your wife that she thinks her parents are dead and i pointed out that it would be unwise to mar the happiness of the girl by letting her know the truth mrs bezel agrees with me and she has consented that things shall remain as they are does she not want to see jenny father of course she does it is only natural poor soul but she loves her child sufficiently to avoid casting a shadow on her life jenny will never know that jerringham was her father or that her mother is still alive she will marry you claude as miss kennedy and know no more of her connection with the matter than she does at present and dennis dennis has been told i wrote him two days ago and i have no doubt he will come up to town to see the last of his wretched sister the last of her can you doubt it mrs bezel has death written on her face another blow for hilliston said tate in a rather regretful tone 
villain as he knew the lawyer to be he could not help feeling sorry for his troubles fate had held her hand a long time but now she was dealing a full measure and pouring the vials of her wrath on the head of the sinner it will be a heavier blow than the last said larcher in a severe tone for there is no doubt hilliston truly loves mona i suppose dennis will object to his going near her again it is impossible to say we must leave that to the man himself this conversation took place in tate's rooms one morning some three weeks after the momentous interview with mrs bezel it had been captain larcher's intention to return at once to thorston but he had been dissuaded from this by his son who thought a few weeks in town would do his father good there was no doubt on this point for captain larcher brisked up wonderfully in the exhilarating atmosphere of the west end but for the unexplained mystery of jerringham's death he would have been quite happy in the recovered society of his son and even while the future was still black enjoyed himself in no small degree it did claude good to see that his father was at length getting some pleasure out of life after his years of incessant trouble and wearing anxiety the next day dennis looking older and greyer than ever came up to see his sister he saw his master for a few minutes and then went on to hampstead i have told dennis how ill she is explained captain larcher as the man took his departure and he has promised to be as lenient as possible toward her wrong-doing by the way hilliston is in town hilliston yes he came up in the same train as dennis and had the impudence to speak to him asked him where i was as he wanted to see me to see you father cried claude in astonishment what for i think i can guess interposed tate quietly hilliston has been stricken by his wife's death and wants to atone for his sins by confessing the truth i would not be surprised if he called here this afternoon captain larcher looked sceptical but said nothing and the matter dropped for the time being as it happened dennis was still ignorant that his sister had been the mistress of the lawyer else there might have been trouble he had but a confused idea of hilliston's connection with the case and beyond knowing that he was the owner of the garnet scarf-pin could not conceive that he had been actually present in the garden when the murder was committed true it was that the scarf-pin had been found on the spot where the corpse of jerringham had lain but assured by his master that hilliston was innocent as captain larcher had truly believed these many years dennis never gave the matter a second thought now he would learn the truth from mrs bezel dennis only came back in the afternoon looking much put out the ruin of his much-loved sister by jerringham had been a great blow to him but the discovery that she was alive and had been living in sin with hilliston startled him considerably he could hardly reply to the questions of his master but ultimately related that they had parted friends mrs bezel had told him that the doctor assured her she could not live much longer and in the shadow of death dennis had freely forgiven her all her sins and follies and indeed sir what else could i do said dennis wiping the tears from his eyes when i saw the poor thing lying there like a corpse it's a bitter time she's had of it these last ten years in that death in life state oh yes captain i forgave her freely poor soul and hilliston asked larcher inquiringly may his black soul burn cried dennis with a scowl were i or he younger i'd leave my mark on him mona had a letter from him saying he was calling to see her this evening but that he had an appointment with you sir 
with me dennis it is the first i have heard of it where is he at this moment as if in response to his question the door opened and tate appeared looking very disturbed mr hilliston is here captain larcher and wishes to speak with you claude had entered the room by another door and on hearing this stepped forward looking slightly pale he slipped his arm within that of his father as though to protect the elder man then they all waited to hear what captain larcher had to say the permission for the interview must come from the man who had been most deeply wronged he thought for a moment or so with a frown on his face then sank into a chair with a deep sigh dennis stand behind me he said in a peremptory tone claude sit down yonder now mr tate we are ready to see our friend tate anticipated this permission and was already prepared for it without a word he threw open the door and hilliston dressed in deep mourning entered the room with a paper in his hand he looked pale and worn his fresh colour was gone and as he spoke he kept his eyes persistently on the ground it could be easily seen that the man had received a shock from which he would not easily recover i have called to see you and deliver this he said in a low tone placing the paper he carried on the table i do not ask for your forgiveness larcher for i do not consider i have done anything to justify your anger against me you could have saved me all these years of anguish by telling me the truth said larcher indignantly perhaps but it was not to my interest to tell you the truth i don't wonder at that said claude bitterly you were afraid of the law perhaps said hilliston again on the other hand i may not be so guilty as you think me you will find the truth in that paper he pointed toward the table and the eyes of all immediately turned in that direction while hilliston moved toward the door having fulfilled the promise i made to my dead wife i now take my leave he said quietly i will never see any of you again and some day you may learn that you have misjudged me good-bye he opened the door but before he could pass through dennis sprang forward my sister he said with an indignant look in his eyes i am about to repair the wrong i did her replied the lawyer gravely by to-morrow she will be my wife forty four the truth hilliston came and went in the space of a few minutes none of those present made any attempt to stay his exit but as the door closed after him they looked at one another in silence thinking of hilliston's last speech dennis was the first to speak what does that mean sir he asked his master with an air of helpless bewilderment i think it can only mean one thing dennis replied larcher rousing himself mr hilliston has at length awakened to the fact of his dastardly treatment of your sister and is about to make reparation for the past he intends to marry her but his wife only died a few days ago master i know that but mrs bezel will also die shortly and if hilliston desires to atone for the past he has no time to lose he can marry her at once but he will again be a widower within the month dennis lifted a pair of shaking hands and slowly left the room followed by the sympathetic looks of the others he did not even pause to learn the contents of the sealed envelope left by mr hilliston great as was his curiosity to learn all that had taken place on that fatal night his love and grief for his sister were greater still bowed and grey and older-looking than ever he departed 
but in his heart there was one comfortable thought mona would die an honest woman if mr hilliston was to be believed when the three found themselves alone captain larcher picked up the sealed letter with some reluctance strange he said balancing it in his hand for years i have been eager to know the truth now that i have only to open this envelope to learn it i feel half afraid nevertheless it will be as well to lose no time in making ourselves acquainted with the contents said tate eagerly for he was in a fever of impatience to know all it may be a confession by hilliston i think not it is directed to me in the handwriting of mrs hilliston to ferdinand peyton no to captain larcher hum said tate with a start how did mrs hilliston know you were captain larcher did she see you at thorston no but her husband doubtless informed her of my real name however we will learn all from this said larcher breaking the seal i believe this is a confession by mrs hilliston but what can she have to confess cried claude as his father smoothed out a closely written letter she can know nothing of the tragedy you forget said tate with a sudden recollection louisa sinclair she was at horriston and according to mona bantry was in the garden of the laurels on that night i would not be surprised if she saw the committal of the crime what do you think she is about to betray her husband oh said tate significantly we are by no means sure of hilliston's guilt larcher found that the writing was too small for him to read comfortably so handed the letter to claude with a request that he should read it out loud excusing himself on the plea of the illegibility of the writing claude passed it to tate who accepted the office with avidity the letter was without date or direction and began in an abrupt manner highly suggestive of the agitation under which it had been written tate mentally noted these points and began this confession is to be read after my death by captain george larcher and if he sees fit he has my free permission to make it public still i trust out of regret for the memory of an unhappy woman that he will not do so save in the arising of two contingencies first should he still be alive and accused of murdering mr jerringham second should my dear husband be accused of the crime in the event of the occurrence of either of these contingencies i authorize him to make these pages public to explain myself i must go back twenty-six years when i was residing at horriston you captain larcher will remember me well as louisa sinclair for at that time i saw a great deal of yourself and your wife i saw too much of her for my eyes were sharp and but for a natural reluctance to disturb your domestic peace i could have enlightened you as to her conduct she was never worthy of a good man like you she was as bad as i afterward became and that is saying a great deal as you will see by reading on i loved francis hilliston your intimate friend belinda pike loved him also but there was no need for either of us to be jealous of the other for mr hilliston loved a third person none other than your wife no doubt you will be angry when you read this but your anger cannot alter facts yes your dearest friend loved your wife let him deny that if he can at this point there was a marginal note by hilliston i do deny it and but that i am not in a position to do so i would not let george larcher's eyes rest on this confession 
my poor wife was insanely jealous of mrs larcher but i swear that she had no grounds to be so i admired mrs larcher as a friend nothing more and i loved mona bantry she is the only woman who has ever attracted me and notwithstanding my marriage now dissolved by death she attracts me still this note was hastily scribbled in pencil and after tate had read it without interruption from captain larcher he continued the confession i admit that i was jealous of his attentions to your wife continued mrs hilliston for though i did all in my power i could not win him to my side regarding the efforts of belinda pike i say nothing she tried to gain his love and she failed i was more successful in the end but not till the lapse of many years here i may say that i have gypsy blood in my veins which at times renders me insanely jealous and in such a state i am capable of all things a recollection of this may enlighten you as to my acting as i did in the garden of the laurels i knew that your wife loved jerringham and could have told you of it i am sorry i did not now as she would have been disgraced and then francis might have turned to me for consolation but i held my peace and paid the cost of doing so i am doing so now you also for if you had been forewarned you would never have had to conceal yourself under a feigned name on account of jerringham's death at the fancy dress ball held at the town hall matters came to a climax my gypsy blood made me mad on that night owing to the way in which i was neglected by francis hilliston with some difficulty i learned that your wife was to be dressed as mary queen of scots and with a view to making myself attractive in hilliston's eyes i chose the same dress with the assistance of the dressmaker who worked for us both i obtained a dress similar in all respects to that of mrs larcher hoping that by doing so he would speak to me under the impression that i was your wife my stratagem was successful i was masked and dressed as she was he spoke to me thinking i was she and i learned then how he loved her at that moment i could have killed her i could have killed him here there was another note in hilliston's handwriting again i say that the poor creature was mistaken i did speak to her under the impression that she was mrs larcher but i said nothing that she could construe into a declaration of love her jealousy rendered her mad and she distorted the idle words i spoke she took them up in the wrong sense my suspicions were confirmed later on continued the confession for i overheard them talking together yes francis hilliston and your wife were in a corner together talking of love i listened it was mean to do so but then i was in love and would have stooped to any degradation to have rescued him from her clutches they talked about a dagger which he had given her to complete her dress aha he did not think to complete my costume with such a gift mrs larcher took the dagger out of its sheath and together they examined it she blamed him for putting an inscription on it saying it would make her husband jealous francis laughed and said that he would never suspect him then mrs larcher slipped the dagger back in the sheath as she thought but in reality it slipped down among the folds of her dress and when she arose to go it fell on the ground they departed and i picked up the dagger at once i looked at the inscription and there it was on the gold handle to j l from f h i was so enraged that i could have broken the dagger i tried to but it was too strong for me therefore i thrust it into my waistband and went in search of hilliston to return it to him and reproach him for giving it to mrs larcher 
i saw him wrapped in his cloak go out with mrs larcher he was seeing her home and in a frenzy of jealous rage i resolved to follow margin note by hilliston it was not i who went home with mrs larcher but jerringham i was dressed that evening as a venetian senator and wore a long black cloak this jerringham borrowed from me to conceal his fancy dress when he left the town hall my wife thought it was me but she was mistaken i went home with george larcher as he knows the confession continues they left in mrs larcher's carriage and i hastily wrapping a cloak round me followed in a fly when i got to the laurels they were talking together at the door and the carriage had driven round to the stables i sat back in my fly for the driver did not know who i was and watched i saw mrs larcher kiss hilliston and run inside then i went out of my mind i was possessed by a devil he came down the path and turned midway to look back at the house i had my hand on the dagger it tempted me and i sprang out at him he turned sharply round and had i not been blinded with rage i would have then recognized him but i hardly knew what i was doing and before he could utter a word i buried the dagger in his heart when he fell with a choking cry i knelt down beside him and withdrew the dagger then i heard a sound dropped the weapon and fled some little distance off i ran into the arms of francis hilliston i shrieked as though i had seen a ghost and told him i had killed a man that i had intended to kill him he explained the mistake of the cloak and said i must have murdered jerringham then he saved my life no one had seen me come to the laurels no one had seen me in the garden so francis took me back to horriston and i returned to the ball without any one having suspected my absence the next day the news of the disappearance of jerringham was all over the town afterward the body was discovered down the river and mistaken for that of mr larcher francis advised me for my own sake to hold my tongue i did so and shortly afterward i went on a visit to a sister of mine in america francis refused to marry me on account of my crime in america i married derrick the millionaire he died and i returned to london i found francis greatly in want of money and as i still loved him i married him no one but us two knew who really killed jerringham but for your sake captain larcher i acknowledge my guilt lest you should be found out and accused of the crime i could say much more but this is enough when you read this i will be dead and my last words i swear are true i and none other killed mark jerringham in mistake for francis hilliston note by hilliston it will be seen that my wife was actuated all through by jealousy but i swear she had no reason i loved mona not mrs larcher nor her i saved her life because she committed the crime for my sake i married her because i was on the verge of pecuniary ruin i have nothing more to add you can blame me if you like but i consider i have acted all through as i was forced by circumstances forty five a few words by spencer tate when the case has been stated when the witnesses for and against have given their evidence when the counsel on both sides have delivered their speeches it is then customary for the judge to sum up the entire matter for the direction of the jury in this instance i am the judge and here is the larcher affair summed up for the understanding of the public it has fallen to my share to wind up the story so here i set down such results as happened from the confession of mrs hilliston 
the immediate result of her death was the marriage of the widower to mrs bezel which took place so to speak when the latter was on her deathbed she lingered out another two months and died in the arms of her husband at peace with all the world dennis heartily forgave her and the only bitter drop in her cup was the absence of her child yet when captain larcher suggested that jenny should be told the truth and brought to say good-bye to her mother mrs bezel with a self-denial for which i hardly gave her credit refused to permit such a thing she thought that jenny would be happier if she was ignorant of the truth and moreover mrs bezel shrank from letting her child know how she had lived during these many years at all events jenny never learned the truth and mrs bezel died without seeing her daughter that she forgave hilliston for having deprived her of the child is i think a proof of her goodness of heart for there is no doubt that he acted selfishly and cruelly in doing so but enough of mrs bezel her faults and virtues she lies in hampstead cemetery under a plain stone of rose-coloured granite inscribed to the memory of mona hilliston so she had her wish at last and died an honest woman captain larcher returned with carrie to the cottage in nightingale lane as he could not make up his mind to resume his own name or tear himself away from the bookworm life of twenty-five years no one knew the truth save claude jenny and myself for hilliston being absent from england does not count the vicar was also enlightened on the subject and expressed much astonishment at the strange series of events which had culminated in the death and confession of mrs hilliston unwilling to lose his old crony he heartily approved of larcher's determination to resume his usual life and so the matter was settled captain larcher will remain mr ferdinand Paynton to the end of his days and will still be a mystery to the gossips of thorston how great a one they can never guess but a notable change has taken place in his habits he is no longer a recluse a misanthrope when i am at the manor-house he visits me there he is a constant guest at the vicarage and may be seen frequently fishing beside carrie on the banks of the lax following the example of his master dennis bantry also renounced his name which he superstitiously regarded as one of ill omen and called himself carrie for the rest of his life if he was grieved for his unhappy sister her life and her death he finds consolation in the society of mrs claude larcher who conducts herself toward him as a niece should do but the relationship is not known beyond the walls of rose cottage lest it might lead to inquiries and jenny is still known as the daughter of mr Paynton. that claude should call mr Paynton father is of course only regarded as natural by the village has he not married jenny and does he not stand in the relation of a son to the old man thorston gossips think he is a most perfect son-in-law and never guess that any nearer relationship exists between them of course jenny and claude were married as speedily as possible and i do not know a happier couple mrs larcher has quite converted me with regard to the fair sex and plumes herself on her victory she has the audacity to say that she will yet succeed in getting me married but i think that is beyond her powers mr linton married them and they spent their honeymoon at the manor-house which i lent them for the occasion indeed while at thorston they invariably live with me and i should be offended did they take up their quarters anywhere else not that they have any desire to do so for rose cottage is rather small and besides the manor is within easy distance of it so that jenny can see her father or rather her father-in-law as often as she chooses claude still goes to different parts of the world to build bridges and construct railways sometimes his wife goes with him but she does not like to be so long away from thorston 
Peyton is now an old man and cannot live long, so Mrs. Larcher wishes to be near him as much as possible. Besides, the cares of the nursery take up her attention, so I think that in a few months Claude will settle down to business in London and make his home at Thorston as he always intended to do. There is a pleasant little place not far from the manor which I have been commissioned to buy for him, so I really think that next year Claude and Jenny will take up their residence among us. The only person who disapproved of the marriage was Frank Linton, who accused Jenny of jilting him. This was utter nonsense, as she never had any intention of becoming his wife. However, the author considers himself badly treated and has taken up his quarters in London, where he writes books and poses in Chelsea circles. But I do not think he will ever write so excellent a book as A Whim of Fate, perhaps because Mrs. Claude Larcher refuses to tell him any more plots. She has a good reason for doing so, as the troubles which arose out of her finding the murder papers in the garret of Rose Cottage have startled her in no small degree. Still, as I tell her, she must look on such troubles as a blessing in disguise, for, after all, they led to her marriage and present happiness. But Mrs. Claude does not see the matter in so amiable a light. Finally, Hilliston. It is hard to say what has become of that gentleman after the death of his second wife he withdrew from business and went abroad there i believe he is still and from what i hear of him at odd times he seems to have developed into a kind of wandering jew france italy austria germany russia he has seen all these places and is constantly travelling about no doubt trying to live down the past whether he will succeed in doing so it is hard to say after some consideration i have come to the conclusion that we have been rather hard on hilliston he did not love mrs larcher in spite of his wife's insane jealousy on the point and i believe he was sincerely attached to mona bantry the blot on his character is that he did not marry her when she first came to london and seeing that he was in love with her i profess my inability to explain why he did not do so perhaps it was on account of her low birth or the circumstances which connected her with jerringham but at all events he did not marry her till it was too late for the poor creature's happiness otherwise i do not see how he could have acted differently louisa sinclair was guilty of the murder but as she did it on his account and was wildly in love with him it was to his honour that he protected her as he did whether he would have told the truth had mrs larcher been convicted i do not know but as louisa sinclair did not leave for america till mrs larcher was released i think hilliston would have persuaded her to confess openly in the event of a conviction it is true that he married her for her money but i think he was touched by her devotion and gave her some love no doubt it was mrs hilliston's remorse for condemning his father to lifelong seclusion that made her so kind to claude when he was a lad now it is easy to see why hilliston was reluctant that claude and i should investigate the case he was afraid lest the truth should be found out and his wife arrested i was wrong in my surmise hilliston was not afraid for himself but for the unhappy woman who had killed jerringham in mistake for him the whole mystery would have been solved years ago had dicky pentel spoken out as he should have done but the fear of being shut up in an asylum closed his mouth and so the case was at a standstill for five and twenty long years it was strange that jenny who set the ball rolling should have been the indirect means of avenging her father's murder or rather of solving the mystery which concealed it had she not discovered those papers in the garret she would not have been able to give frank linton the plot of a whim of fate 
had that novel not been written and published mrs bessel would not have read it and thereby have been induced to write to claude had she not done so hilliston would not have told claude the truth thence we would not have taken up the investigation and solved the mystery it was jenny who was responsible for the whole after five-and-twenty years the child of the murdered man unconsciously enlightened us as to the person who had slain him fate works in strange ways but i do not wish to figure further as a detective this one experience has been quite enough for me the thought the anguish the trouble is too worrying the next criminal case in the larcher family can look after itself i abandon the role of detective and thus put the last word to my only criminal case the end end of chapters forty three through forty five end of the third volume by fergus hume recorded by celine major